by the time we're in midlife, if we are exercising, it is our stress release. It's how we negate our stress. And if you take that away from me, you know, I'm in trouble. Welcome to This Functional Life, a show for women just like you, who are ready for more health, vitality, passion, purpose. We're going to deconstruct norms, uncover your deepest desires, harness your physical and mental health, and peel back the layers to uncover exactly what you want out of life. I'm your host, Betty Murray, part geek, part magician, and your new medical bestie with a dash of sass. I love taking complex science and making it easy to understand and integrate into daily life. Join the journey to make this chapter the best ever. Let's get thriving. My next guest is someone every woman needs to know. Menopause fitness expert Deborah Atkinson is the best-selling author of You Still Got It, Girl, Hot Not Bothered. She's the host of Flippin' 50 podcast with over 1 million downloads. Her TED Talk is Everything Women in Menopause Learned About Exercise May Be a Lie. She's a 37-year fitness expert and prior senior lecturer of kinesiology at ISU and the founder of Flippin' 50 the first and only fitness membership dedicated exclusively to women in menopause. In addition to being the creator of the Flippin' 50 membership, she's also the creator of the Flippin' 50 Fitness Specialist Course for Fitness and Health Coaches. And so Deborah is a woman we all need to know and follow. So please give a warm welcome to Deborah, and let's get started. Okay, everybody, and I'm very excited today to have my friend Deborah Atkinson on. So Deborah is a menopause and fitness expert. She's the best-selling author of You Got It, Girl, and Hot But Not Bothered, host of the Flippin' 50 podcast, and she has over a million downloads. She has a TED Talk, Everything Women in Menopause Learned About Exercise May Be a Lie, and she's a 37-year expert in the fitness industry, and she was a prior senior lecturer in kinesiology at ISU. She is the founder of Flippin' 50, and the first and only online fitness membership dedicated exclusively to women in our age group, menopause. And in addition, she's the creator of Flipping 50, which is a fitness specialist course for fitness and health coaches. I'm excited to have you. Well, thanks for having me. Love to talk about this topic. It's my favorite. How did you end up getting into fitness? Obviously, you love it. <laughs> I clearly do. But I'll tell you what, it's not something I ever grew up thinking this is what I'm going to do. In fact, I grew up thinking I was going to be a graphic designer, was carrying around a pen and notepads my entire childhood. But I was two years into a graphic degree and I was like, I don't fit in. I had just started to basically self-initiate my own fitness, you know, not high school anymore where a coach is saying, you got to do this, you got to run these laps, you got to I was, you know, just getting into really walking and became jogging and then I was, you know, running and started to lift weights a little bit. And I was like, most graphic designers smoked and drank and stayed up all night. And I was like, I don't fit in here. And I don't think I really want to. And so I kind of stuck one foot in physical education, kept one foot over here. And at the end of it, I was like, nope, this is what I want to do. And like so many people, the reason I got into fitness was I was between high school and my freshman year in college. And I was a lifeguard. And I was like, you know, post-graduation parties and all of that. I was like, I need to, you know, before I put on this swimsuit uniform all summer, and we're going to do some shaping up. And yet after I had had that experience that semester, I was like, 
I want to give people what my instructors gave to me, the feeling that it wasn't just about exercise, but I felt more resilient. I felt like I was a better student overall. I could think better. I was sleeping better. And I wanted to help women and men. At that point, I was working with both. Just be better parents, better bosses, better employees, better CEOs, better whatever their roles were because of the exercise. It was so much more than physical, but I was sure that's where I was in. So that's where I got started. And then how did I get started working with women in midlife primarily? So this is 37 years for me now. Of course, I am one. And you tend to start working with people who are like you. But I was an old soul. I was the fourth kid of four children and my parents were older. My mom was actually almost 40 when she had me. That was before it was sexy to have kids in your 40s. And my sister at the time was 16. So I think the story goes that when the three of us were out, people thought that I was my sister's child, which would make my mother roll over, I'm sure. You know, then she married someone 10 years older. So my parents were the age of most of my friend's grandparents. So, you know, when you're, you have very old and conservative parents, you go out and spend a lot of Saturday nights listening to a lot of old people have cocktails and conversations. And so I was doing research on aging long before I knew it, (laughs) but I got some really valuable information. So I was able to relate to people when I was young, even though you know, they were far older. And that is a part of, I think, why it's been easy to grow our community um, because of that kind of rapport. I really knew them. I know them. I know how their culture was growing up. And, you know, there's nobody, I think, more influential in health than a woman in, in menopause. We influence three generations. And so that really has been the underlying message for me in Flipping 50. Sure, it's about the fitness and the muscle and the bone so that we age better, but it's about so much more that we have to give everybody else. I'm so glad you said that because that's we are so much in alignment on that subject matter. You know, coming into our own is really that. It's like women, as we step into this second chapter of our life, we have this opportunity to go, okay, what do we want our life to be about? What impact do we want to make? And it might be multi-generational, it might be worldwide. It might be energetic or it might be just experiencing something new for ourselves. But when we look at women and we look at the commitment and contribution women make, surprisingly enough, we don't see it in the media. But if you look statistically, women over 50 have a bigger impact. Maya Angelou, you know, really didn't start writing until her 40s. Like, so instead of looking at this next chapter of life as like, oh, no, that one closed down. It's like, oh, no, this one just opened the stage for this brand new expression, which I'm like, yes, yes. And when I was younger, people would say, no, 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 you're going to like it when you get close to 50. And at 30, you're like, whatever. (laughs) You (laughs) you don't think about that because you think you're really rocking it then. But, you know, as I marched towards 50 and now I'm 51, it was like, oh, wait a minute. I'm actually, I love this time period of my life. It is so much better than it was on the backside. (laughs) It's great. Yeah, there is something to be said for like being in a moment where you're like, I don't have to have all the answers and I can absolutely ask questions. And you're in a moment where you're able to learn because there's no more false pretense about like, I have to pretend I have all my, you know, what together. It's like, no, it's like, it's a meaningful mess, you know, <laughs> and that's just part of it. So you've been in the fitness industry for a long time. So you've also seen this fitness industry ebb and flow through different time periods. So what do you think about all of that over the last, you know, 37, 40 years, like how much that has changed? It's been, yeah, it's been a ride, you know, and I, as I taught at Iowa State University, so I, 
I taught, you know, we had a lot of pre-med, pre-PT students, but we had a lot of people who were at the time thinking, I want to be a personal trainer or I want to be an owner. I want to own or manage something. And when I went through, I started my fitness career in 1984 and I got each one of these pieces individually. So I got step, you know, and then I got slide and then I got the gliders and then I got, you know, the next thing today, they're like, here you go, fitness professionals, like all these things. I mean, there's two and a half, three dozen different modalities to use. It's quite overwhelming for a student to come into it, you know, and begin to adapt to all of those modes and teach. So from that standpoint of teaching trainers and training trainers for decades, there's that piece of it. And having the unique perspective of being in it, teaching it myself, of teaching at a university and of, you know, being an owner of a business and working with people. It's like very interesting to actually be an advocate for a consumer to help them realize they don't know what they don't know. Because although as much as fitness has changed and progressed, one of the things that still has not is it's a self-governed industry and it's buyer beware. Yeah, I mean, you have to know what questions you should ask on behalf of yourself. Certification, really, a trainer can call themselves a trainer and they don't have to be certified. And some certifications are as good as going to a weekend workshop. And others take far more in terms of investment to, to pass that test and actually know, you know your stuff. And continuing education. There is nothing to say that if I were a trainer working primarily with women who have cancer, that my continuing education should be about cancer and exercise. I can go take continuing education about how to use a medicine ball 27 different ways on Friday. And that would suffice as qualifying me for that CEC. So it's very important that you know what questions to ask. And that I think is one of the most disappointing things in the fitness industry, that it's still, you know, we've got to fend for ourselves as consumers and know what to ask. And often you don't. You trust maybe an owner, you know, who's hired someone and you assume that then they've gone through some kind of gauntlet and that's not necessarily true. Absolutely. And, and you know, as a nutrition professional and an owner of an integrative functional medicine clinic, you know, I talk about the importance of exercise, but I don't have an exercise physiology or kinesiology degree. So I'm like, you know, I can tell you what I know about the metabolic effects of exercise and what's the right thing. But it is pretty scary because you can imagine being, you know, the average woman who probably spent, you know, 15 to 20 years, I'm child free, but let's face it, a lot of women aren't. They've probably been raising kids. And so exercise was something they may have sporadically done or maybe not at all. And then maybe we grew up with the Jane Fonda, the step, the this, the that. And then you end up in the marketplace. You have no idea, which is why they get so nervous about engaging in exercise to begin with, because they don't know where to start, which yes. is why I love what you do. You know, I used to tell trainers when I was working with a staff of trainers that the three little words that trainers want to hear so much is I love you from their clients, right? I mean, we want that, we want that little ego stroke, you know, and I tell them the three little words you're going to hear most frequently is don't hurt me. Do not hurt me. That's it. That's where you're going to hear and and it's because by the time we're in midlife, if we are exercising, it is our stress release. It's how we negate our stress. And if you take that away from me, you know, I'm in trouble. We also know that we're a little bit more fragile. We're less resilient. So I don't love the word fragile or delicate when it comes to age, but we are a little less resilient in our joints, our ligaments, our connective tissue. It takes a little longer to heal. 
And we know that if we get hurt, you know, it's going to be a little bit longer and that's going to continue to potentially be a weak link. So it's wise to ask the right questions, to know what to ask. Here's the number one question. So for women in midlife to ask whenever they are thinking about starting a program, purchasing an online DVD or today an online Zoom class, whether it's live or recorded, is to ask, was that program made based on research about me? on women just like me, because 39% of all sports medicine and exercise research features females. And so if you and I break that down and think about seven hormonal phases that women can go through in their lives, every one of those seven demands its own unique exercise prescription and guidelines. And we're not getting that. We're kind of getting lumped in there with research on mice and men and young women. And we're not even young women anymore. We have a different hormone profile. So you really need to ask, is this about me? Is there proof that this works on women like me for the moment I'm in? And that may be a different moment than six months ago. And if you're in perimenopause going into menopause, it could be also different than six months from now. So you need to know how to read the signs and symptoms of your body to know what's the feedback you're getting about what you're doing. Absolutely. You know, you think about it and if we were to break down that 39% and probably really look at it, I would bet the majority are women under the age of 30 or 35. Young women. And so going through menopause, we're even more volatile, right? I mean, you and I can argue that at least younger women, they are somewhat more predictable in that they're having a regular cycle. And so that's somewhat predictable. But once you get into perimenopause, if you're going through a roller coaster, I mean, they really don't like us, right? Because that's not predictable. You're going to ruin the research, right? Pesky hormones, those pesky yeah. hormones, and what they do to our research. We're just like <laughs> those outliers to get out of the standard deviation and get away, right? Yeah, right. Exactly. So why do you think so many women start exercise and fail? You know, what, what would you say the key issues are there? Well, I think the biggest thing is what I just described. Number one, they're starting a program that failed you. You're starting a program that wasn't built for you in the first place. So you may be doing it and following all the rules. You're going the frequency, you're showing up, you're doing the homework in between. And yet it was designed potentially for a young athletic male. That's probably the predominant study subjects are they tend to be athletic males in their mid-20s, which is where muscle mass peaks. And you have to ask, why would we think that something that works for a male at the peak of his muscle mass would work for a female who, when we're in menopause, we're kind of at the peak of fat storage. That's what we're really good at, right? And we have to avoid it. I mean, that's not going to work very well. So first of all, it's not your fault, even if you're following all the guidelines. And secondly, it is a little bit your fault because you're too willing to take the blame, ladies. You're too willing to say it was you and that you're not working hard enough or it's something about you innately. And there is no one program, I think, that fits everybody. It's like, we know gut health is like your thumbprint now. We know that you need your own unique diet. You need your own unique lifestyle habits that work for you. And exercise is no different. Even at Flipping 50, I operate with a blueprint. All of us who are in mid-50s and later, we recognize and remember that. Do you remember like being on a bus and you were reading Tiger Beat magazines, you know? And the quizzes that were in them was like, if this, if you answer yes, you go this way. And if you answer no, you go this way. You know, and a blueprint is like that. 
so that it allows you to get the right answer for you based on what what's happening. Are you sleeping? Are you pooping? Do you have wild cravings when you exercise in this way? Do you have more energy? Do you have less energy? Could you lay down and take a nap? All of those things are suggesting what should you do right now? And quite often, we're not doing that. Position statements and guidelines made for exercise, which is what people are given, students are given in college, and they're given in certification exams. Here are the guidelines for exercise, the frequency, the duration, the intensity. But that is compiled by men and women of a wide age range. And no one fits that kind of average. And so we've got to really take a better look. And even if It's okay. Exercise guidelines for older adults. That's also both men and women, and we're not the same. And so women who are in menopause have this volatile up and down, and maybe we stabilize and we are a little bit more similar in our 70s and 80s and beyond, but right now we're not. And so, you know, we've got to make sure that we're looking at, are we following a program and following guidelines and getting to what I need to do right now based on What's my body telling me? So, you know, whether I have access to lab results, for some clients I do, but for many, it's like, tell me about your poop, your elimination, your cravings, your appetite. Do you have one? Tell me about your energy level and what have you been doing? And I can give you a better idea of where should you start and how should you progress? But that's the only wise way to do it. So not a quota of X amount of times of cardio per week. Someone last week asked me on a live, challenged me, right? She said, what about the American Heart Association who says you need to do at least 150 minutes of exercise, which is, you know, moderate exercise every week. And she said, you say, don't do moderate exercise. You you say, do high intensity and do lower intensity, but stay out of that middle zone. Because I call that no benefits zone, by the way. And I said, okay. We're not countering anything that the American Heart Association says because the rest of that guideline goes on to say, yes, it's either 150 minutes of low to moderate is actually what it is, exercise, or it's 75 minutes of moderate to vigorous exercise. And those are the equivalents. And it goes on to say that there are more results to be gained from the more moderate to vigorous exercise than there are from the other. But we're not saying do more. We're saying do the right amount for you right now. So there's a respect for what's come in the past. But I don't think we can just say, okay, take that because the American Heart Association says that. We also have to say, my body is actually telling me what I need to do and to know in order to intuitively exercise in a way that's going to serve me best. And that is so important. And, And people have been taught to override our own feelings and emotions. So I think that's really important to remember. So that really brings up a good question. So we recognize that a lot of the recommendations out there are made in broad strokes for lots of people and completely inappropriate for women in this age and time. So of the mistakes that women make, what would you say is the most prudent way for them to assess where they're at with their own fitness and whether they should start? Let's say they haven't been working out in years. Right. What are some of the things that they need to do before they get started? First of all, I think it's look at what are your signs and your symptoms right now? What are they telling you and where's your energy? You know, I will go into three different buckets, but really two for you. So when I'm talking to trainers, I say, you know, listen, we're talking about women in menopause and a hormone balancing friendly exercise prescription versus traditional 
And even what everybody says, functional exercise, and that is such a buzzword, I hate it because it means nothing, nothing to anybody. I've argued with trainers before that a machine weight is functional. If it is the match to the goal and the need that a client has, then that's the functional exercise that they should be doing. They should not be doing, you know, something that will get them hurt or injured that is more freestanding. So you've really got to look at the match between the exercise and what it is you want and what your needs are at the moment. That makes it functional. But traditional functional exercise doesn't take into account anything other than frequency, duration. Are you hitting the quota of your cardio and of your strength and of your mobility and flexibility? And and that one really we can leave out because yes, nobody stretches too much, I promise you. But then there's the this, we need the hormone balancing. So we know that we've got to have something a little bit more intuitive that's friendly with a woman. But if you've ignored the whispers and the need to change that exercise, you may be over here in more of an adrenal fatigue state. And we need to fill that bucket in I call it restore before more. We restore your energy before we try exercising our way out of it because that is just not going to work very well. Then when you're restored, then we start this hormone balancing exercise. And I went into a rant a little bit yesterday on my own timeline. And I said, look, when I hear people say, when I hear trainers and health coaches say this, I know they are well-meaning and they're unintentionally sending this wrong or incorrect message because it's just incomplete. But often I will hear someone say, we just can't exercise that way anymore. You know, our bodies can't handle that anymore. And to me, it sounds like too many women would interpret that like, I'm delicate, you know, and I'm going to get hurt and I'm ready for chair aerobics and chair yoga. It's all downhill and I'm going to get older and I've got to be careful and and it couldn't be further from the truth. Now, you may, if you're in adrenal fatigue, need to calm the heck down and restore and practice yoga and slow walking and just let yourself have energy, sleep, rest, feed yourself well, decrease your stress level and acknowledge that that's a piece of the problem. And then come here when you're restored and rested, when you wake up in the morning and you have energy that's stable all day and you don't go highs and lows, then you're ready for this. But never in our lives did we ever need high intensity exercise than we do right now. Everywhere in the research for menopause fitness, we see the two words adequate intensity. Will it help decrease signs and symptoms of menopause like belly fat weight gain? overall weight gain, hot flashes and night sweats, the conclusive evidence is yes, provided it is of adequate intensity. And that is crucial for us to remember if you're going to your Pilates and to your yoga between tennis matches with a really great partner. Now, if you had a bad partner, it would be better for you, right? Because you'd have to be moving a little bit more. But if that's what you're doing and you're not getting fitness and you're saying it's not working, it's probably working just the way it's supposed to work, but you're not doing strength training with intensity. You're not getting breathless enough in those high intensity intervals. And that's really what you want to be looking at. So you want to, first of all, decide which bucket am I in? Am I really ready to put my foot on the gas pedal a little bit? Or do I need to restore before more? Because you cannot skip that. And even if you're gaining weight and you have belly fat and you really desperately want to lose it, if you're exhausted all the time, your body will not allow you to work hard and lose weight. Your body is already in fat storage mode trying to protect you, right? So you know this better than anybody. 
But women often try to exercise their way out of it and get around the fatigue. Forget about that for a minute and think, you know, I'm going to rest after I lose the weight. No, 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 no. You're going to lose the weight first and or you're, you're going to rest and then lose the weight. Probably you'll lose a little even in doing that. So it's not that we're delicate and we need to slow down. We need to slow down to recover and rest and restore. That'll help decrease some of the inflammation. And then you're ready to take it to the next level. And for those of us who are exercise lovers, if you're out there thinking, but I love to work hard, I love it. I know you, girl, I am you, right? And we sometimes have to hold ourselves back. I like to say that actually starting a business was one of the best things that I could do because it saved me from myself. Oh, yeah. I don't have I don't have time to exercise like a crazy woman like I used to do. And that is so good for me. You know, so when I have 20 minutes, I make it work. It's not 20 minutes of, you know, checking my phone every five minutes. You know, I can't, I can't even take that with me, right? I just got to make that 20 minutes work. And that is so much more beneficial than you extending an hour of anything. And if you have time to look at your phone during your workout, something is wrong, desperately wrong. <laughs> so important that, you know, you really put yourself in the right bucket and then start moving forward. But base of movement. So let's talk about movement versus exercise, right? So we get confused and a lot of women during the pandemic began walking and walking more potentially than they were post-pandemic, which is fantastic because we needed it. We needed to get outdoors and we needed to like nod at people from across the street. I think it was really beneficial to have that little bit of social building. But walking is compensation for sitting. Really, it's not exercise in the way that we need it. We need to move. We all should be doing that, but that should be just a part of our day. And then we need to look at, if you're ready, strength training. Twice a week strength training is a girl's best friend. It was in your 20s. It was in your 30s. It was in your 40s. And now it's going to be life-saving for you, starting it now and doing it for the rest of your life. My mom is 94. I'm telling you, you and I should all be saying, when we start looking at retirement communities, we start looking at assisted living and nursing homes, we should say to them, if you don't have a weight room, I'm not coming. So you better get a weight room if you want my money. And I'm not going to do it otherwise, because that is life-saving. You've got to have lean muscle and you got to have bone density. So those are the two things that you've got to focus on as your goals. And then we choose the exercise as the means to get that. How do we get there? I'm so glad you said that about exercising or even, even running. I mean, I run into a lot of women that love cardio. Because mm, yes. at some point they could run off what they were eating, right? Because we all probably tried that. I tried that in my 20s. I don't have the genetics. My body has always responded to high intensity, weightlifting, sprinting, those kind of things. But we got into this habit of running or doing cardio or getting on an elliptical for hours on end. It goes nowhere when you're over 40. It's not a zero value, but it is not going to change body composition at all. Yes. And, you know, I think a lot of women were kind of hungry for the moment we were in. I don't know that anybody really wants to do that hour on the elliptical or the treadmill, but we're called to it because I think we we want the luxury of the time that we had once to do that and flip through a magazine at the same time when we could do that. And that was so nice, but we're never going back there. We're never going to get that again. And there are so much more productive that you could be doing in that time. So first of all, even just getting outside instead of being on the dreadmill, you know, getting outside and walking in nature, 
weather permitting, and I know sometimes that's a big obstacle for people, depending on what time of year it is and where you live in the world. But the more you can get outside and do that walking, the better. But if you are, you're doing something for 45 minutes and when you really infringe on an hour or anything slightly over that, that is where instead of getting your cortisol to come down afterward, having that corresponding downhill, it just keeps rising. And so it works against you rather than you thinking you're negating your exercise or your stress with your exercise. You're actually making it worse. So shorter is better, working a little bit more intensely and shorter periods of time so much better. And you mentioned something that's really crucial. Body type is actually very important. A lot of women feel like they can't nail their body type right now because it's like my body type now or the body type I used to have, right? But it's still somewhat there. Like you were either more of a muscular mesomorph, you have more muscle, you're more athletic, probably you respond really well to exercise and always have, or you're an ectomorph, you're very linear, always struggle to put on muscle you may or may not be lean because you can be skinny fat, but it's that you struggle to have that actual build. You're more of a tomboy up and down kind of state. And then there's endomorph, Marilyn Monroe. So my curvy girls, you know who you are, a little bit more cushion in the padding and you're caring more. And many women probably in midlife feel like, oh, I'm not now. I wasn't that. But I really want you to think about, you may be storing a little fat, but think about who you are. And that following a program of, of exercise with, say, the number of sets and repetitions of strength training that is catering to your body type can actually help you respond a little bit better and or avoid the thing that you don't want. Oh, yeah. I mean, I remember in my 40s, you know, you, you do your checkbox thing. So I had the checkbox. I need to do triathlons, right? I needed to go bucket list, working out twice a day. So I do the two days in the morning, I'd run and then I'd bike in the afternoon or the evening or I'd swim and then bike or whatever. You know, looking at my caloric burn, I burned somewhere between 500 and like 1100 calories and I gained weight doing a low carb, high protein <laughs> diet. So if people don't believe that what you eat and how you eat and the things you do around your lifestyle definitely have a part with your hormones and your exercise is just as significant, you cannot, cannot burn off calories and overrun your hormones. You just can't. Great point. So similarly, right? I did... 2019, I trained for the Cozumel Ironman, and, and it wasn't my first Ironman, but it was the first and the only the same year that I hit menopause and had several other life stressors. I mean, I was perfect storm. I'm not kidding you. But that was in November. So it had been really basically 11 months, 12 months of deciding to do the thing, training for it, realizing stressor after stressor after stressor, and I'd already paid. And you invest that money and you're going, right? But I gained 10 a little bit more pounds. And I call that my 10 pound cortisol gain. And no one, right? No one who does any triathlon, let alone an Ironman, intends to gain weight while they're training, because that's just going to make it harder to do the whole thing. You know, it was, is really hard to pull that off again, because your body is just protecting you. It's like, we're under stress. You're, you're having a hard time here. So regardless of the training and the, you know, you're very conscious of what you're eating. We've both taken one for the team here. So if you're not hearing us, right, more is not better. Yeah. It is so, so very true. So you've alluded to this, but I want to make sure that we make it very, very clear. If women were going to start exercising in their late 40s, early 50s and beyond, what's the primary thing? If they're limited for time, they're limited in skills potentially, where should they start? 
Like, what do they have to do? They must, must do it. It's not nice to have. They've got to do this particular type of exercise. Strength training is your number one thing twice a week. That's all it takes. And actually twice a week is proven to be the sweet spot. And I very recently heard another trainer and actually one I know and respect and love say three times a week is a sweet spot, but I'm going to have to challenge him on that a little bit in some side conversation. Because when we look at postmenopausal women looking at one, two or three times, and I think we can all say, I can see that one time would not be enough to change the muscle enough to impact metabolism or strength or endurance. So I think we can all put that aside, but it's a shock to most people that three is not the answer because we're all going to be inclined to say more must be better. But here's why, because we have to remember that exercise is about getting better for life, not for the exercise. We're not trying to get better at life inside the gym, but life outside the gym. And the whole point in exercise is to make it so your daily activities are more fun. You have more energy for them. You're coming home from work, not to recover, to do it all over again the next day, but to enjoy your family and your free time and go and do things that you love to do with the people you love to do them with. So they found that the twice a week strength training people actually did more things all day, every day. They were more active. And so the total caloric expenditure for them was far greater than those who exercise three times a week because those three time a weekers couch compensated. You know, that lying on the couch thinking, I worked out today, so I'm going to take it easy. I'm going to rest. Like, would you get that for me? Because I worked out today, right? You know, that feeling like I don't have it in me. And when you push too hard and you get there, you will end up that 23 hours the rest of the day, you're actually, your body is reserving. It's telling you you're tired and preserving energy instead of helping you spend it in an energetic way. So you want that sweet spot where you gain enough strength and stamina and you have the desire to then play and and or work if you have to do that. Darn it, jobs are dumb, but you know. And I remember reading somewhere else too that statistically, when we look at exercise, as people ramp up their exercise, particularly past that two range, usually their appetite goes up at equal measure, especially in the very beginning. They become hungry, you know, and so they may end up if they're not really watching what they're doing and and working with somebody that's sort of helping them navigate hormonal dietary changes, they may just end up eating more calorically and forwarding their efforts too, which I see that. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why two questions I asked are either about how is your appetite? And what I'm wondering is, number one, a lot of women in midlife that I start working with actually don't have an appetite. And I say, we've got to fix that because you're a healthy, active woman who makes good decisions in the day. You should have an appetite before meals and it shouldn't be crazy. Like you shouldn't be that I'm pregnant. I could eat something right now and I don't care what it is. It shouldn't be that kind of hungry or cravings. You shouldn't really be having them if you're diet is adequately meeting your needs and you're having a good three meals, no snacks, and you're putting the right thing on your plate or bowl or whatever it might be. But yeah, exercise can definitely be, you you can be giving yourself signals and ignoring them potentially that it's too much, that you're not doing quite enough or too much either way. And diabetics have this happen all the time, right? The rest of us don't have to deal with the blood sugar and the insulin thing but indirectly, we all are. So I'm going to ask you this question. So I know that, you know, definitely through my 30s, I could go low carb, high protein, get changes in body composition, especially if I added exercise. 
So a lot of the women that I work with in my hormone reset program and clients have come in and they are terrified of the carb. Like I can't have a carrot because it's got too much sugar and they're truly terrified, right? And, and there's a time and a pace for possible therapeutic removal of a significant portion of carbohydrates, but that is not a maintenance diet. What do you see in, in the women you work with? Because I know I would bet money the majority are terrified of carbs to begin with. Totally agree. I think yeah, any woman, like if you present them with here's A or here's B, if they get the choice for keto, they're going to go with that every time, thinking that's the measure. Often I'll do like a 28-day program or I'll do something. And one of the very first things I have them do is add in carbohydrates and I have them added in at their dinner. And they're like, what? Like, thought I wasn't supposed to. And if I was going to, I was supposed to have it early in the day. I was like, you're going to do this because I want you to sleep. And you're going to do that because usually I want you to do high intensity workouts in the morning. And you're actually coasting on what you ate 16 hours ago. So if you've had a higher carb meal before you went to bed, number one, you had a better night's sleep, most likely. You're waking up rested and you've got a little fuel, even if you are that woman. And there are a lot of women who will say, I just can't eat before I work out, right? <laughs> so I try to get them over that hump. But if they at least have had carbs the night before, we're at least in a better state. We're not completely void and fasted. So yeah, I think we're putting our bodies in this state of really insufficient fuel. And, you know, it's like emotional stress, financial stress, exercise stress, that's a dietary stress that will make your body shut down. Here's what it really does is makes exercise feel miserable. It makes it feel hard. And why would you want anything you want to repeat on a regular basis to feel hard and miserable? I mean, that just sets you up for failure. Right. Through COVID, obviously, I used to like cycling because I did triathlons. I love cycling mm -hmm. like that. COVID allowed me to sort of re-engage in that athletic endeavor because what else are you going to do? You know, but I go out and I, I ride a fair amount of distance on the weekends. But one of the things, and people probably find this humorous, and if you live in Dallas and I pass you, you'll know, I just sing along with what I'm listening to loudly and poorly, I might add, while I'm riding. And, you know, part of it is so I know that I'm in a zone that I can still, <laughs> I can still <laughs> have a conversation but the other thing is, is that I tend to go into that exercise fasting and I'll ride 20 to 30 miles, sometimes just depending on my mood, whatever I do, I almost always have, a, you know, a fair amount of carbs that night before, right? Because I want to make sure I've got those glycogen stores in my muscles and also the liver. And I sail through that exercise and I feel great. If I low carb it, I will bump terribly. Totally agree. And I think no one can convince you of this more than testing yourself. So first of all, if what you're doing right now with exercise isn't working, you know, I encourage you to say, I'm actually going to try this not once, you know, not sporadically, but literally I'm going to stick with this for three weeks. I'm going to change what I'm doing and see if I don't consistently feel better because then nobody is telling you this is the way you have to do it or should do it. You're actually saying, okay, I'm going to start reintroducing a little bit more carbohydrate, a little bit more and let yourself adapt to it. So yeah, I love that. And I think the other thing we've got to say is, you know, when we talk about building muscle and getting more muscle and stronger, protein is always the topic of conversation. But what people forget is that muscle also requires carbohydrate. You've got to have both of them. You can't gain muscle without some carbohydrate. That's so true. And then I knock out a few little weightlifting times during the week because I don't have a lot of time. So. Yeah, you got to see the little device that I use <laughs> to knock out some 
some training very quickly, you know, so I love weight training. You know, I used to love doing it five days a week. Now I do it too. <laughs> and it's so much better. And it's so much better. So Deborah, I know that you're pressed for time and I, I'm so happy we got a chance to talk about all these important things for, for my audience. And you've got some things that you would love to, to offer my listeners. What would you like to give them? Because I'm sure they need to find you because you have awesome programs that they can actually participate in and, and get the right exercise for them. Absolutely. Well, first of all, for for anybody who's still struggling with that adrenal fatigue, but also find it really hard to give up their exercise and committed to got to do more to maybe lose that weight, I recommend you go listen to my TEDx talk. So it's flipping50.com forward slash TEDx. That's it, the letter X. And for those of you who are ready to stick your toe in the water and you want to actually try a program that is safe and sane and simple and actually kind of gives you a little bit of a reset. So it's a great start or restart. It's flipping50.com and the five, the number five day flip, no spaces. And it's five days of videos that will teach you how to set up a week. What does that look like? So today complements tomorrow and that complements the next day. And you're not just randomly exercise, but you've got a plan. I love that. So everybody go out and get Deborah's stuff. Listen to her TED Talk, because if you're exercising and you're not getting what you want out of it, we're probably doing something wrong with it. <laughs> it's so, so true. That's so, so true. Thank you, Deborah, so much for joining me on the podcast. And I look forward to speaking with you again and seeing you in a couple months even. It's going to be exciting. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. Love talking with you. Thank you so much for tuning into this functional life. You are why I'm here. And I am so very grateful. You're here for a reason. I celebrate your commitment to claiming your youthful energy and stepping into this next phase of life, feeling vibrant, healthy, and powerful. I am so proud of you. Hit subscribe so you don't miss any wisdom on creating the most exceptional life on our terms. If this episode helped you in any way, please share it with a friend to spread the love and together we rise. You can follow me on social media at Betty Murray PhD. And if you want a chance to share your story with our tribe or find out more about working with my team, you can sign up at chatwithbetty.com slash podcast. Again, that's chatwithbetty.com slash podcast. See you next week. Bye-bye.